filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster There are too many games. There's too many things happening outside of soccer in life and work and family. The rent uh, is too damn high. <laughs> well, my mortgage, but sure. So we're not doing a cold open. I hope all of you are happy, especially those of you who are keeping me so busy. I'm shaking my fist at you, DC government, and your public meetings that affect me. Grr. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson, Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we cover DC United. Tonight, we're talking about United's two games since our last show. Um, Very different results. uh, Home loss to NYCFC and a road win on Wednesday night over the Columbus crew. Uh, We'll we'll dive into both of those in the first segment. In the second segment, we will preview uh, DC United's trip to Minnesota United. Uh, coming up Sunday, watch it at 1.30 in the afternoon on FS1, I believe. Um, I didn't write that part down, but I think it's FS1. Um, before we do anything, though, Ben Bromley, what are you drinking? I uh, am trying a new bourbon, or, or like a new, not a new fancy bourbon, but just a new staple bourbon. Uh, I am going with uh, Ancient Age tonight, which is from the people who make Buffalo Trace, but it is a step up from their bottom shelf benchmark bourbon. And I'm just having it in a Manhattan and it's fine. It's definitely a step up from benchmark. So if you're looking for a easy drinker, it's pretty good. I I know a lot of places in Chapel Hill, when I was in school there, a lot of their wells was ancient age. And so I have an Mm. affinity for it from there. It it, It always had a nice earthy tone to it. Okay, so it's what between the bottom of the the barrel and Buffalo Trace, their their flagship. That's flagship, yes, exactly. All right, because I know Eagle Rare is a step above Buffalo right. Trace, exactly. Okay, so yeah, this like, would be like the the Mercury, not 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 the Ford, but not the Lincoln, the Mercury. I thought Mercury was lower than Ford. I thought Mercury is the bottom of the barrel. No, I think Mercury was supposed to be the Oldsmobile for for Ford as opposed to Chevy or Cadillac. It's in, it's in between. I don't know about that. I, all the Mercuries I ever saw or had the time to right. view were, were junkers. It, it, at least, I, I'm just going to point out that before we started the show, we were talking about cold opens, and I pointed <laughs> out that we would probably get bogged down on something. I we got bogged not. down two minutes in. I didn't anticipate it would be over what degree of car Mercury uh, is. And I, I haven't chimed Which doesn't in on exist that because anymore. I, I haven't chimed in because I'm not sure. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm pretty sure at least when it launched, Mercury was a step up from Ford. By the time we... That um, probably makes that That sounds right. By I the time, <laughs> you know, the 90s and, and 
our consciousness came around, um, those of us on the show, it, it was probably starting to change. And by the time we became adults, Mercury as a brand was was dying. Um, and just like Buick was dying for a time. And I think Buick's supposed to be a step up from Chevy as well. Um, so who knows? Anyway, Jason, what are you drinking? <laughs> Don't drink and drive. I I was coming in last. Uh, I was coming in late, so I quickly grabbed one of my uh, super large um, uh, drinking ice cubes and uh, added some Patron Barrel Select Añejo, and that's it. Nice. Uh, I I'm also drinking uh, brown liquor neat, uh, district made rye whiskey from One Eight Distilling here in DC. It's good. I've had it on the show several times. My bottle is starting to run dry. Um, no, I never. I'm not drinking it, Nate. I'm drinking it in a Manhattan. Oh, that's right. I think you mentioned that. Yeah, uh, you did. Okay. Right, but right it, before we got sidetracked into what grade of car Mercury was, which it's clearly a retrograde. It could be anything. Uh, it's, oh, Adam. It's, oh, Adam. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I wanted to groan so bad and you, you obliged. Thank you. I was just going to push on through. I was just going to pretend that that never happened. (laughs) It would have been the right decision, but not the one I wanted. (laughs) Uh, Two games to look back on this week, each alike in dignity. Uh, One without much to redeem it. Of course, the other DC United's third straight road win. Uh, United fell two to nothing at home Sunday to NYCFC before taking a one nothing victory out of Columbus, Ohio on the back of a Wayne Rooney free kick goal. And if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It was real pretty. Um, And I think scoreline aside, it's safe to say that DC United played a lot better on Wednesday night than they did uh, on, on Sunday against the pigeons. Um, They just, at least in, in the first half, were a lot livelier. They were more cohesive throughout. Uh, the, and I think the central midfield, most of all, was was a lot more solid against Columbus. Yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. Um, I, I think NYCFC, that, that game, I think I might have tweeted this out. There's so many games that I've had to tweet about lately that they're all kind of blending into one. Um, but in my memory, I said that it was a lot of, it was a lot of you know, six out of 10 C C grade uh, performances on a night where NYCFC played. I've seen them play almost somehow. I've seen them in Orlando over and over again this season. And I don't know why it just ends up being who I think half of it is who they were playing. Um, But anyway, I've seen them play almost all of their games and this was by far their best performance. It was the only game where they didn't do anything incredibly stupid and shoot themselves in the foot repeatedly. Um, and unfortunately, when a team that talented doesn't screw up a bunch, it turns out they can they can play pretty well. Um, DC needed to be better on the night. I, I don't think they anticipated getting uh, NYCFC's best on that in that game. Um, whereas against Columbus, I think maybe that slap in the face of a few games in a row where it just didn't go all that well. Um, they came out and and gave a much better account in the first half, especially it was a much better performance um, front to back. It was just everyone took a step up um, overall. It, there weren't any star performances, just like there weren't any particularly bad performances against NYCFC. I, I think it was just a collective uh, level up from the group. And that's, you know, right now with Lucho not playing at his best, that's kind of what the group needs is they all have to be at that step up level. 
um, rather than just assuming that because the other team isn't that great and you're at home that you're going to win. There was kind of an air of that against NYCFC, and clearly that's not good enough. If this is MLS, like the, the teams we think of as truly bad, other than the Revs, uh, are not actually all that bad. The Revs are as well, bad as you think they are. The Pids. Yeah. I, they almost got a win against DC. I mean, they got problems, but they aren't a train wreck like the And they've Revs. got and they've got at least Atlanta writers trolling for clicks shaking in their boots about their trip to Atlanta this weekend. I mean, it's worth noting the bottom two teams right now in the Eastern Conference are the New York Red Bulls and Atlanta United <laughs> FC who were great. the top two teams in the league last year. Um, it's MLS is weird, man. Um, MLS is awesome. Pew, pew, boom. <laughs> the, the, speaking of weird, um, DC United has a, a, a really odd home and away split recently. They haven't scored a goal in three straight home games and they haven't lost in three straight road games. That's not how it's supposed to be, especially haven't lost in four straight. They've won all three. Yeah. They've won three road games. That's right. Uh, They've won three straight road games and and are unbeaten in four Um, An unbeaten on the road this year, which they can't say at home. Um, It's, it's weird. You know, it's, it's weird. And it's actually, I'm trying to bring it up as to which, year i'm thinking of but i'm pretty sure i'm stalling clearly um yeah no 2012 i think was was like that um Um, the first year we had this podcast was i'm thinking of uh a more recent and more maybe more stark uh example and my computer is going slow just now when i need it um the galaxy sometime in recent history had a year where they were great on the road and terrible at home um, and now I can't find it, but it, it happened. Uh, I we'll just, take word for it. um, I'm going to keep looking. So someone else talk. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what exactly it is. I don't know if United got a little complacent at home or if teams are coming into Audi field and, and giving United their best shot the way NYCFC did. LAFC was, was obviously locked in when they came to buzzard point, uh, which did not go well for anyone who, who has blocked that memory out. I'm sorry to bring it flooding back. Um, but United, there's been, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't 2012, maybe it was 2014 where United just managed to get results on the road time after time after time, even when they were bunkered in a lot, which United has been in, in some of these road games, Orlando, Colorado, uh, and Columbus, the second half of all of those games involved a lot of back foot defending. Um, they, they didn't all play out exactly the same, but, it was it. It's definitely worth noting the the pattern there, and who knows? Maybe United can get another road win this weekend in Minnesota. Um, ben, do you have anything on the home away split? I mean, I think it takes more time. Yeah, it's going to lead into something you're going to talk about at some point. So I may be stepping on your toes, but I I think some of it is just how many games they've had recently. They're they're having to think about going into a uh, Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday run right here. And you've got to plan for that and think about that. And I mean, it obviously played out in the second half in this game, but I think having the, the formation choices that you make uh, have a lot to do with it. And just if you have three central defenders, you don't have to run as much because you can just let them clean everything up. And I think that 
helps keep everyone a little fresher and allows them to uh, take their chances when they get them. I don't know if any of that made sense, but it made sense in my head. <laughs> I, I mean, for me, the, the home road split, I think ultimately it's, it's right now it's coming down to the simplicity of these road games versus the complications at home. Um, at in those three home games, they faced three very different opponents. This, these last three, um, LAFC came out confident looking to press and they had some specific things they were disrupting and creating chances in transition. Uh, Montreal just sat very, very, very deep and um, essentially were their primary goal was just don't give up a goal. And if you happen to score one, great. Um, NYCFC kind of split the difference between the two. They were still looking to create those transition chances, but they did. um, Interestingly enough, since we're going to get into Minnesota later, uh, apparently they looked at, I, I heard from, uh, I think Ian uh, Quillen from MLS Soccer mentioned in his uh, talking to Dome Torrent that um, NYCFC actually kind of treated DC like um, they treated Minnesota um, in that they treated uh, Lucho as Darwin Quintero for DC. Um, and that's why they played those extra or that extra center back and they moved to five at the back. Um, so each of each game had a different aspect to it. Whereas when DC has gone on the road, um, the other team in all of these games is trying to come out and play. And so DC, regardless of the formation, it's kind of simplified. They're going to play the low block. They're going to look in the first 30 minutes to take some chances and try and get a goal. Um, and then after that, it's more about making sure you don't give up one, but that it's not bunkering down completely. Um, but it is definitely, a more straightforward game plan. Whereas DC keeps having these different plans thrown at them at home and playing the way they want to play at home is more complicated as well. So um, some of it is just down to this, the simplicity of being on the road and, and knowing that a draw is still pretty good. Yeah, it might be that last point, I think makes some sense. The willingness to accept a draw. Um, you mentioned earlier, Lucho hasn't been playing his best. Um, really since the first couple weeks of the year. And uh, I, I think you see him take on some pressure at home to, to entertain the fans that are there to see him and Rooney to create for the team. And he, he puts a lot on himself and tries some things that maybe he shouldn't, um, especially as the game wears on, if United hasn't scored, which obviously they haven't in the last three games. And he, he tries to, to do it himself a little more and, and doesn't let the game kind of come to him to use a cliche. Um, and so obviously the offense runs through Lucho and Rooney. And when that connection is broken, when Lucho is not himself, then the team's not going to score that much. And on the road, they're more, they're, they're happier to take their set piece goals or their um, counterattack goals where they can get them. And, you know, when the, the press isn't working and Lucho's not, not firing, you know, that you take what you can get. And those, those options are sometimes more available on the road. Yeah. And, and teams are also at home. They're trying to come out a little more as well. Um, yeah. And so those set pieces, you know, you're getting better set pieces because you're getting teams in transition rather than in possession. And so they're chasing back, trying to shut down a counter and they're more likely to foul in that scenario. So, um, 
it has played into some of what some of what DC is doing well right now happens to be something that's good um, for playing on the road in MLS. Um, their set piece game, I'm, I haven't finished my spreadsheet of everyone in the league up to date yet, but I'm pretty sure when I get caught up, uh, DC is still going to have the most set piece goals in MLS right now. Um, so they are taking advantage of something that te- we see a ton of road teams tend to get their goals that way in MLS. So um, it's kind of a, a couple things kind of aligning uh, all at the same time. Um, I'm not necessarily too worried about it for the time being, but if we get through the next couple home games and the pattern continues, then I would think I would start to, I would start to get worried at that point right now. We're not there yet. Yeah. And uh, like you said, I'm not worried yet, but uh, last season, especially second half of last season, DC United was able to just uh, put the pedal down and take control of especially home games because that's mostly what they had and just allow Wayne Rooney and Lucho Acosta to run rampant over opposing defenses. And that's not there yet. As like, like we've said, especially with Lucho. So hopefully that starts clicking here in the next couple of games, because they're going to need to be able to do that. They're going to need to have that tool in the toolbox sometime this season. So Ben, you mentioned the tactics earlier, the formation United was playing against Columbus. They, they ran out this, three four one five three one whatever you want to call it um and they they used the same thing against nyc at various points um we we saw this for the first time against colorado and it's obviously something they've kept working on donovan pines in the middle of that back three and um it it worked a little weird because the wingbacks were tucked in a little bit more than i i would have expected which led to columbus firing in 44 crosses uh, against United. Um, most of, I, I didn't look up their success rate, but I think they were very high. low. Yeah. Uh, Donovan Pines, I think had more of them than Columbus as a team or got, got on the end of more of those crosses than Columbus did as a team. Um, it was a weird strategy, man. And I, I know I've gone on about how much I hate it when DC United crosses a lot. Cause it's, it's the last bastion of a team with no ideas to just right. get the ball out wide and cross it. And United invited that. I think, I think that was part of the game plan is just yeah. have them fire at the incredibly tall Donovan pines, the unmatched in MLS aerially Steven Birnbaum and the also quite good in the air, uh, Frederick Briant. Um, those three guys and Bill Hamid is, is no slouch at commanding his box either. So, so it's Chris Durkin. Not, yeah, not in boxes, but in the air. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I you have all of this- these guys and it's just it, it Columbus played right into United's hands and they had a couple of chances from it, but United managed to to stave it all off. And I think, yeah. Yeah. I'm loath to overstate the importance of Joseph Mora because I think at the end of the day, he's a good MLS player, but he's by no means a like franchise changing player but i think the way that they've constructed this team for this season uh the way they wanted to play initially in the 4231 i think a lot of that it's difficult when you don't have someone with the speed and the defensive ability of joseph moore out there and so switching to the three back setup the three center back setup uh with uh pines and burnbaum and either uh robinson or briant uh, it just 
they just want you to pump in crosses because you're not going to be able to they're just going to clear everything away. Donovan Pines is getting some great experience and I think he's going to uh, stay on the field more, uh, more rather than not going down the rest of the season. And burn bomb, like we said, burn bomb is great in the air. Briant's great in the air. And uh, uh, junior Moreno and Chris Durkin right now are just clogging up everything in front of them as well. So they, nobody has any options, but to go down the sides. And then when you have, three redwood trees in the middle uh, blocking out all the crosses for teams that don't have a ton of ideas like, uh, like an LAFC, it's going to be difficult for them to, to break that down. Yeah. Adam, first of all, according to Opta, it doesn't quite add up because I don't see the four, the 44 crosses that Opta reports in the statistics aren't showing up on the chalkboard. They're, they're under that, but of what they're showing, uh, three completed crosses. And one of them is a completed wow. cross from Rabinho that actually gets picked up in the corner rather than inside the box. So it's quote unquote successful, but not really. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know if this is the best time to get into this, um, but I, I'm going to forge ahead. Um, this kind of sums up something that I... I By the way, before you get too far into that, 16% is what MLS soccer.com's uh lists the crossing accuracy for okay for that game it's not on the chalkboard it's on the stats page okay um 44 crosses 16 percent. dc united a much more reasonable 50 percent on 12 crosses um but yeah uh dc and columbus i thought played a very good first half um there was there were some really smart play there was some nice movement from both teams um I know the Columbus side, they all thought that they had more of the game, more of the chances. I don't think that's true. I think DC had more and better chances in the first half, um, despite the fact that they weren't necessarily high pressing. Um, I think Columbus mistook possession for chances, which uh, you shouldn't do. Um, but after halftime, these teams both look like a midweek MLS team. Um, and so the repeated cycle we got was, DC had too many heavy legged players to really do anything and give themselves a spell of possession. Columbus had too many tired players to think clearly and come up with an idea that wasn't hit across. Um, and so that's the format that we kept getting was a tired team gives the ball away. A tired team possesses for a while, can't figure it out. And someone gets either into a bad spot because they couldn't think clearly because they're tired. And when you're tired, you think, poorly um or just didn't have any better ideas and whatever it was across again and again and again um and it wasn't you know the first half was a pretty decent advertisement for the league the second half was not um but that's not i mean it's dc's fault in that they couldn't just get a spell of possession because i do think columbus was kind of there to be taken um if DC were less tired, if they had had more healthy players to rotate in, um, then I feel like this might have been a game that became two or three nothing in DC's favor because Columbus was that poor. Um, but because DC was too tired to do anything about it, um, we just kept seeing the same thing happen again and again. Um, and quite frankly, I don't really know um, – what Caleb Porter was doing, not making earlier substitutions because this pattern set in very quickly in the, in the second mm -hmm. half. Um, and it still took him 
till the 76th minute to make a sub. And it wasn't, he didn't really change anything. It was just another um, inverted winger. Um, He didn't really change anything until the 83rd minute. He finally brought um, a second striker. If you're going to pump crosses in, at least put in two big guys. Um, So he put Mullins in in the 83rd minute and switched his wingers so they were no longer inverted because that's all they were doing anyway was hitting crosses. Um, But in in his shoes, that shouldn't take that long. I don't know what to – his – indecision is baffling to me. Um, I'm grateful for it. I'm glad it happened because if he thought this through, his team might've come up with a different solution to beating DC than they did. Um, because in the end they played right into DC's hands. I mean, there is no good reason for any team in MLS with any forward in the league to pump in 44 crosses against those three center backs. It's stupid. Um, Jason, are you talking about, uh, MLS cup winner, Caleb Porter? Yeah. Uh, everyone's, favorite coach in like 2015. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> hey, he got offered the DC United job before Kurt Anolfo. He did. Um, well, he would have been better than Kurt Anolfo. Um, yes. But no, um, normally he's smarter. Like I, I know I'm a known disrespecter of Caleb Porter's um, coaching bona fides, but he's better than this. Um, this didn't make any sense to me at all. Um, right. I think Caleb Porter sometimes gets enamored with certain aspects of the game and he's like well we're doing this and it's working really well but there's a disconnect between what he likes that the team is doing and winning there's an there's a step in there it's a it's a little bit underpants gnome step one possess the ball like crazy and he he said he wants to get away from that he said he wants to get the ball in the final third and get more touches there because that leads to goals and it does but you have to get it into zone 14 you have to get it in the box you can't just possess it in this arc around the edge of the the final third and then send it across from the the corner of the box time after time especially like we said against a back line like united put out right um Uh, i i will say i mean i came up with substitutions and and i know people were even i was you know saying olsen should make a sub earlier than he did and i stand by that he should have made a sub earlier than he did especially when you look at how immediately like Quincy Ameriqua came on uh, in stoppage time and, and still made like every time he got involved in the game, he did something that United absolutely needed and he did a really good job of it. Um, And this was, you know, when a game has two teams that are this tired, a guy who's fresh will automatically look um, that much better. Um, Especially when he's a wrecking ball, the way Quincy Ameriqua can be like, yeah. You don't want someone just, running into you and running into space right. and but but in in this game um i i kind of understand olsen's thought process to a certain extent for holding off he shouldn't have held off as long as he did um but i do kind of understand when a game gets like this the, every game has a rhythm and a game that goes like this it has a rhythm where everyone's having to defend you have to know where the runs are coming from you have to know it before columbus is going to do it you have to get into that rhythm and it's tough to get out there because most games don't play out like this. DC doesn't have a lot of familiarity with a game that plays out like this for 45 straight minutes. So um, I kind of understand being a little skeptical of um, making the defensive subs or the wingback subs. I, I guarantee that the reason Rodriguez came off for Segura was that Rodriguez was so gassed that at that point they were like, I don't think he can make one more run. Um, I think it was that level of substitution rather than it being like, oh, let's get a big guy in or let's change the game with Segura. It was, I don't think he can run anymore, but we have to put somebody else in. Um, 
the Ameriqua sub, I think, should have come maybe in maybe when the Robinho sub came for Columbus. It should have been right around that time. And I'm not sure if it should have been for Lucho or for Ariola or for Rooney, um, but it should have been for one of them. Um, it should have come earlier. Um, the rest of the team, I kind of get it. Maybe Jalen Robinson could have come in a little earlier as well, just to beef things up. Um, you know, he ended up playing a wing back. They changed the five four one for the last few moments. Um, that could have been a little earlier. Um, so I have quibbles with the sub patterns, but I want to be clear that I don't necessarily think that a coach has to always use their three subs, and I don't think we should get we should always get mad when Olsen holds his subs too late um, because there is a thought process. It's not just um, misunderstanding the game or something. It's there, there's a real rhythm to these things that uh, it's fragile and you put a guy in there who's not up to speed yet. And you're just asking for trouble. Um, that said, I think that, you know, the front three could have used the fresh legs and, and not necessarily been disruptive uh, earlier. Uh, let's get into some of those individual performances. Pines we've touched on, um, a bit, his, his fellow homegrown Chris Durkin, um, in wasn't great against NYCFC, especially on his reading of the game and the defensive side, but still managed to make a couple of, um, highlight reel worthy passes. There's one in particular, uh, where he managed to hit Wayne Rooney on the run. Rooney's ahead of him out on the wing and Durkin gets the ball turns and, pings this ball um, and manages to hit Rooney on the chest while Rooney is running away from him. It was incredible skill on both the making and receiving of the pass. And I, I'm still geeking out over it, even though the rest of his day wasn't particularly great. Um, just to, the, it's like, that's one of the things Chris Durkin can do that a lot of D mids cannot. Um, and then against Columbus, he had a goal line clearance that he just looked nonchalant and looked like he was just jogging around. And he's like, oh, look, I saved a goal. How about that? Um, he had tracked a run to the end line and the cross went, you know, over him to to the back post. And he did what you're supposed to do and got in position in front he of the goal. He has teleportation skills, <laughs> obviously. That, that, that's yeah, the only yeah. way he was able to appear there is he just teleported. Yeah, he just knew Linked where he was supposed out. to be and just went there and was was correct in doing so um helped save the win uh so so good night for united's two young homegrown guys on the field i'm i want to talk a little bit about paul Ariola and tt excuse me tt rodriguez um who who kind of swapped positions in this uh in in this alternative system that that ben olsen has run out uh tt against columbus was playing uh wing back as opposed to Ariola who played that against Colorado with TT in the middle with, with Lucho. And in, in this one, they just swapped Ariola was, was in that line of two behind Rooney. I'm curious what you guys thought about the, the role, the two guys, the, the way they played differently and how they performed. I like TT Rodriguez and I thought he did a okay job at, at uh, wing back. But if those are my only two options, I would much prefer Ariola as the wing back and TT uh, further up. I think that it's just the, the way this team has gone and evolved. I th- uh, Ariola has that uh, skill set. Obviously, TT will do a, will expend a lot of energy uh, and give it his all uh, put in that position. But I think Ariola has just a little more uh, 
savvy, a little more knowledge at this point to do the wingback spot and TT further forward is, is good. He's dangerous up there and he helps combine. And I just like that setup a little better. I think they're kind of in a rock and a hard, between a rock and a hard place. For because, sure. For sure. Um, We've seen what happens, and this is why Ben has been so frustrated when Ariola has to play as a fullback. When you take that level of speed away from the attack, things get slow real quickly. Um, and so pushing him further forward, I think I think that was an attempt to get the give the attack some more cutting edge rather than you know someone who's a little more to the point than than TT. Um, I think it was also a defensive uh, thought process where. Um, Ariola is going to necessarily, he's, he's, he, he works harder than just about anyone. So, um, he's going to get around, uh, will trap. He's going to get around yeah. Artur, um, and, and maybe disrupt their ability to even find trap and Artur, um, early in possession. And so that kind of just, it, it leaves Columbus off form. It leaves them a little uncomfortable. Um, I think it was a combination of those two things for this game. Um, and it also may be an admission that, um, you know, the, the previous game, um, the previous instance with um, Lucho and TT as the guys underneath Rooney, it didn't quite work out like you would want it to for as long as you'd want. Um, and so I think it was a combination of all of that. I mean, the, the Ariola defensive side of things, Trap didn't miss too many passes. I don't have a percentage in front of me. It's not, there's not a lot of red on his chalkboard, but there's not the, you know, he's not in the 95% um range and he didn't really switch the point of attack too often mm-hmm. so um it had some effect i don't think it was brilliant but it, it had some effect on his game um so i i think it, it was a something that if dc were fresher i would love to see it you know with with that team at full strength as, as a thought you know as thought experiment to see if it would work um but yeah i don't know that there's a good way to do it because right now that formation, it, it has worked, but I don't necessarily think it fits the personnel, and this is why. Um, Joseph Morris is somehow the most important person on this team. I, you know, I, I told someone... Or most um, irreplaceable. I, I told, uh, told someone right. via text um, after, after the NYCFC game, I said, look, uh, Joseph Mora is the, room that ties, or the rug that ties this room together. Um, uh, exactly. You take, you take that out of the equation, and now all of a sudden you lose the width, you lose that speed. Um, there isn't anyone that can play, you know, especially with, you know, McCann, I think we didn't see him at his best and those were bad teams for him to play against specifically, but, um, there is no other real left back on the roster. We've seen that we've seen Ariola try and fill in. He's not really a left back. Um, so you lose that edge. Um, you lose the speed, you lose the width that gives United that ability to stretch, teams out enough where Lucho has the space where Rooney has the space. Um, and it, it kind of, the whole thing kind of topples. It turns out we, we really didn't know quite how valuable Joseph Mora is on this team until he was gone. But sometimes that's the way it is. You, you don't really appreciate the guy, you know, he's not a flashy fullback. Um, so it's kind of like that defensive midfielder problem where once they're gone, you really notice what you're missing. But when they're there, it's kind of like, oh, things worked really well for the whole group. And it's partially because there's this um, fundamental player uh, out there that just isn't necessarily drawing that much attention. And that's Mora. So, Jason, are, are you saying that 
don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? Uh, I, I'm saying that we should, we should, I'm thinking more of a big Lebowski. Um, well, I know that part. part. I, yeah. But is, is Joseph Moore also a big yellow taxi? I mean, he could be. Uh, we missed out saying- on a left back nickname taxi when Kamara Lawrence was here on trial and then wasn't signed. So uh, maybe it's time for DC United to get, get back into the taxi industry. Ben, are you equating Joseph Moore's jaw with paradise? I think so. <laughs> okay. I'm yeah. not sure what the parking lot is in this scenario. Maybe the wiring uh, holding his jaw together at the moment. I, I don't think I'm getting that, quite that medical. <laughs> We're not going to get bogged down. We're going to take a break. We'll come back and talk about Minnesota. Thank you for sticking with us. We'll be right back. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... In a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. No rest for the weary. DC United head now to the Twin Cities for their first ever visit to Allianz Arena. Um, and the, uh, the they'll, they'll face the somehow playoff positioned Minnesota United. The Loons on 11 points from eight games. They've scored 17 and allowed 15 goals in that time. And we'll, we'll get to that, especially that defensive number in a second. But... Holy cow, have you seen the standings in the West? Um, I mentioned how weird the Eastern Conference was, but the West is is weird in a very different way. Last year, two teams finished above two points per game in MLS. They're currently at the bottom of the Eastern Conference standings. Just in the West, there are currently five teams that are above two or at or above two points per game, and that doesn't include Sporting Kansas City, who are well under a point and a half, but definitely have the ability to to go on a crazy run. Um, there are also four teams in the West that are at below one point a game. So you have this, the West is basically where parity goes to die this year, I guess. You have the haves and the have-nots in that conference in a way I don't recall ever seeing in MLS. Yeah, it's it's pretty nuts. Um, you know, Kansas City is having kind of an injury crisis. Roger Espinosa's injured for a, quite a while, so um, 
they don't really have a replacement for him and they don't really have a system that allows for him to be out. Um, so they might be in some trouble now. Um, which means yeah, there like, are two playoff spots up for grabs, not just one. Right. But you know, for the teams like RSL and Minnesota and look, San Jose has won uh, two out of their last three after previously looking like absolute garbage after previously they're, getting a point from yeah, the and, rest and, of their games this year. And, and they're now within striking distance of those bottom spots. But then everyone above them, you know, Minnesota is only two back of Houston, but Houston has only played six games, uh, whereas Minnesota has played eight. So, um, yeah, the top of that, you know, I think Houston's maybe overachieving to be in with the rest of that group. But um, Lucha Gonzalez has done a wonderful job with FC Dallas. Uh, it makes you almost makes you wonder um Maybe they could have gone to him sooner. I mean, Pareja was doing well there as well, but um, this has really been, they've been a pretty excellent team to watch um, with younger and younger players. Somehow they're more youth leaning than ever. Um, Seattle and LAFC, I think, have been the two best teams in MLS. LAFC stomped Seattle uh, over the weekend. So I think maybe you have, if you're doing tiers, you would definitely do LAFC is in a tier by themselves. Um, everyone is chasing them by a distance. Um, I think the galaxy have overachieved, uh, a little bit, but they're up there with Seattle. Um, Dallas is not too far behind. I think DC is in with Dallas, um, especially once they get healthy again. Um, and then Houston and then, but then after that, it's a cliff, uh, from Houston to the rest of that conference. It's, you know, Colorado, we saw, we've seen the rapids, Colorado, um, two points from eight games. Portland goals against an eight. I mean, <laughs> that's insane. Minus yeah. 11 goal differential from eight games. Yeah. That is something. They're, um, the are Timbers have been a mess. Games. I, they do have the all road schedule until. Yeah, they, you do forgive them a little bit. I, I fully expect them to run into the playoffs like DC United did last year and like Sporting Kansas City and yeah, Toronto I, did well, in previous think- years. Portland's path to the playoff is a little easier than some of those because the fact that those one, the playoff field expanded because of course, why would we never, why, why would we ever think of making it? You're like not growing, you're dying, Jason. Um, but the other thing is the, the other teams in, you know, Kansas city being having a major problem right now with this uh, injury crisis and um, teams like Minnesota and RSL, you know, one week they look good. The next week they're bad they all have a major gigantic, like there's an article on the site right now, breaking down the teams in the East and and every, it says every team in the East has some sort of flaw and it's true, but every team after Houston in the West has some sort of like catastrophic flaw. Um, Whereas DC has flaws. They don't have this or, or, you know, TFC has flaws, but not this disaster happening every single week. So Yeah. yeah, For the for the top of the West being as heavy as it is, uh, Minnesota in sixth place in the West would still be in sixth place in the East. So it's a weird. It, it's yeah, it's super top heavy, but then the rest of it is just the same as the rest of MLS. Right, the middle is is still the middle. The top is heavier, and the bottom is heavier in the West. But the middle is still the middle. Right, uh, it's just a little bit narrower, and it's. Minnesota is that rare team in the middle of the West. Um, their defense, Although, however, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, 
and we'll get to this in more depth later, but just the Adrian Heath, he, Adrian Heath, Heathedness of it. It will never be the middle. Should, should we just jump into the set, the stats that I have compiled for Adrian Heath that, uh, that he's not told us about. Yeah. I've kept them, uh, to myself because I want Adam and Ben to react, uh, when they hear the, these, these words, I want them to react naturally. Um, do you want so naturally or authentic, authentically? We need we need more adverbs for for how you want us to react. I mean, I'll, do whatever comes out from you uh, from your soul. But when you hear this, react from your soul, not from your brain, but from <laughs> your soul. Um, all right. So Adrian Heath has coached 126 games in MLS between his time with Orlando. That's so many, and his time in just, Minnesota. Just that is so many. Would be. He has three complete seasons between those two teams, plus this year, plus the half season with uh, Orlando before he got fired. Um, Minnesota has stuck with him through two whole seasons, plus this Too season. Thin, through thin of, and thin. Of what they've done. Through thin and even thinner somehow. Um, <laughs> so, again, 126 games. They have conceded. None of them have been playoff teams, have they? No. Okay. You, you kind of stomped on me. Um, uh, <laughs> Adam. Uh, 126 games. They have conceded 241 goals. Wow. <laughs> that is 1.91 goals per game uh, over 126. Uh, and in 2019, so if you're thinking that maybe they've they've gotten better, their average in 2019 right now is 1.88 per game. Slightly yeah, no, better. Uh-uh. Extremely slightly better, <laughs> imperceptibly better. Yes, I mean Maybe. that's why he got so sassy to the media uh, after this last game because they're they're imper- they're not perceptibly better. But well, it's it's funny, and I I tweeted earlier um, the folks at E Pluribus Lunum did an article looking into um, expected goals, not just you know because the expected goals numbers kind of underpin all this. This is not an accident. It, um, and in fact, the guys from E Pluribus Lunum looked at some numbers that American soccer analysis has put out. Um, you should probably look at their tables that are publicly available. Um, if you're interested in this kind of thing, they did some expected goals work. And if anything, Minnesota's um, goals against is slightly ever so slightly lower than it should be. Um, so it's not an accident. Their 15 goals against are not bad luck. Um, it's not that teams come in and, and are just lights out finishing that night. This is They're what it bad. should be. They should have given up 15 goals and a, and a fraction more. Um, and so the idea was because Minnesota spent a lot of money, um, to specifically improve their defensive players, not just their defensive scheme, but the individual players are supposed to they be better. Alonso. They-, they got Ozzy Alonso. They got Ike Opara. Um, yeah. They got a designated player, defensive midfielder, alongside Alonzo. Uh, they got they spent Tam to uh, bring in their right back, uh, Romain. Oh, Michael has been always decent, but he's never been like. No, no, Michael No, Michael had a couple near defensive defender of the year seasons. Um, yes. His problem has been health. It's not been play. It's just been his feet are basically made of glass, and he has a concussion history. Um, but yeah, they did all of that. You know, a Tam right back, uh, Vita Manone came in from the Premier League. They've done all of those things, and they still have given up this many goals. And that's why I I read that, and I was like, and they they brought in all these players. They're still giving up goals. 
I got to know Adrian Heath's uh, overall real history uh, with his more goals stats against. for us. Uh, those that's it. I think those okay. speak for themselves. Um, at, Cause after 126 games, we're no longer talking about a small sample size. Right. Um, after at two different clubs, we're no longer talking about, well, maybe Orlando was just a mess. Um, we're now talking about now that he's also committed, you know, Minnesota committed real resources to getting individual players who are better than the guys that were there before, which needed to happen. And it's the results are the same. So you look around and say, well, what else is different or what else is a constant in this equation? And the constant is Adrian Heath. I don't think he just, I just think he really doesn't care if his team concedes goals. Um, I think he wants to win three, two every week. Do you want to hear his, uh, no, no wrong. Never mind. I haven't found it yet. (laughs) I was trying to find the Adrian Heath quote from this week, but I haven't found it yet. Yeah. The, the defense, I'll, I'll get back. The Minnesota's defense is comically bad. They, I think they, they set a record their expansion year for, for most goals allowed. Is that right? And then they broke it last year. Yes. They went from 70 to 71, which, and, in a and they elected to keep him around. Um, and, and I will say they, everyone kind of admitted that their first, their expansion season, they didn't give themselves enough time to plan and build a roster. And that's why they gave up 70 goals. So, Okay. You give a mulligan over that one because you're like, look, the players we gave you, it's not good enough. Everyone understands. Um, but then when you come out and score, you give up one more goal the, the year after that, um, then it becomes, okay, maybe this is your fault. And somehow either he talked a good game or they were like, you know, our planning for our expansion season was still so bad and we didn't, we left ourselves with so much to do that we, we needed two more seasons, two off seasons to fix it. Um, on an individual level, these are players that should be good enough to not have this happen. And it's I happened. remember, I remember the 2010 season. Cardinalfo got fired after less than a year, and then also have we play. talked about Cardinalfo twice in this game? <laughs> I this remember podcast. 2013. Ben Olsen, you know, he won a trophy, but otherwise had a a very bad year. And and one of the reasons Ben Olsen was able to hang on to his job through that is because United were in a conserve all resources mode. And there were basically no other coaches that, that would take that kind of job because it was, it was not a job at which you could win games. It was not a job where you could be set up for success. Just plainly. It wasn't Um, the, the owners were putting all their resources into, you know, staying above water and getting a stadium built and not onto the field. Now that they are Minnesota also putting resources onto the field. So I have no idea why, what the, the reasoning for Adrian Heath still being in it, in that yeah, job. Is. But I'm, I'm glad he is because DC United's playing them and, and maybe that'll be the, the tonic for United's attack. <laughs> we'll, we'll be going up against Adrian Heath's defense. So Adam and Jason, do you want to so, hear, the quote that Adrian Heath gave the press after a zero zero draw with uh, the LA Galaxy. Let me brace myself. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to do an accent because I don't know his accent and I'm very bad at accents and it would probably be offensive. So I won't do Thank one. Thank you in advance. He said, Well, it might keep you and everyone else quiet now that we've kept a clean sheet. Adrian Heath said in his post match news conference, I'm fed up with hearing it. I'm sure you're fed up with talking about it. I know I am. The clean sheet was welcome. 
Uh, I mean, after a zero-zero draw, I, I will United, say, by the way, has five clean sheets this year. <laughs> this year, I, I will say that I kind of see a certain angle where you're like, ah, oh, you know, um, it's nice to have a guy who's just like, let's go out and and have some fun and score some goals, and that's what it's about, and putting on a show, and and I mean, we're spending a lot of time on the defense. Montreal has, or uh, Minnesota has scored 17 goals in eight games. Um, They are not a joke offense. They, for once that the possession play and the emphasis on movement and all that, that Heath does do well at, it's actually really coming through. Um, But you can hear the scorn in his voice, voice for the idea of people asking him, like, why don't you ever get a shutout? Because uh, he just doesn't care. He does not have an interest in that side of the game. He's never and, cared. Yeah, and that's how his teams have ended up in the trouble they've ended up in. Um, and this is how th- the downfall of this Minnesota team is definitely going to be their defense can't keep them in a game that they need to keep them in. Um, they're going to come across, whether it's now, whether they get, if they squeak into the playoffs somehow, they're going to come across a game where they're, the other team can defend well enough to hold them off. And that is going to be it that, that the jig will be up in the moment that happens for them. Um, and so yeah, I, the way it's going right now, they're going to come up against Seattle or LAFC and it's going to be a right. saw. Well, he's um, going to get the buy in the West, but, but then you, you end up with Seattle yeah. or you end up playing at the galaxy who, when Minnesota went there, the galaxy engaged them in a shootout and had Zlatan and Minnesota didn't. Um, and so this, this is what's going to happen. Multiple teams having Zlatan an option. Well, no, the if other teams have another way to do Zlatan, it. Ben. What? If you dare to Zlatan, there can be more than one Zlatan. Hmm. Maybe I should just dare to Zlatan hard enough. You shouldn't. And then I could I also be Zlatan. I don't actually like Zlatan. I mean, he's a very good soccer player, but Ben's I don't gonna like walk him around so Richmond just introducing himself. Hi, I'm Zlatan. No, I'm just gonna walk around Richmond yelling "Dare to Zlatan" at people. <laughs> people would be like, "That's a ten-year-old ad campaign. What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> right. So, Ben, your plan here is to accost the people of Richmond. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Just tell them to dare to Zlatan. So uh, let, let's get into their attack a little bit. What? What makes it tick, Jason? Um, it's Darwin Quintero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that really is. Um, look, there are some other good players there, um, but good versus elite. Um, it's it's Darwin Quintero. Um, he has been. I, I thought maybe he came to MLS a little too late in his career. Um, I thought maybe if he'd come a little earlier, it would have been better, but he is still only 31 and he's been ridiculous since he got here. Um, I just pulled up his stat. He came at the very end of the spring, winter, spring transfer window in 2018. He came right at the end of it. Um, he has played exactly 34 games. Uh, so he has one MLS season under his belt. He has 16 goals and 18 assists since he got here. Um, he has been ridiculous. Um, and yeah, I would have thought uh, like just before I looked at this, I would have thought the goal number would have been higher and the assist number would have been lower. Um, so that just speaks to how good he's been. I think, um, he has been just, he's so difficult to deal with because he, 
they've given him total freedom. Their formation right now is, uh, I wrote it down as a 4-2-3-1, but you could say it's 4-4-1-1. You could say it's 4-4-2. Really, he gets to go wherever he wants, and everyone else has to sort of fit the the setup uh, around him. And defensively, they defend out of a 4-4-2, and he takes up that second forward role. But um, he has total freedom. He can play to the right. He can play to the left. Um, he's fast. He's really smart. Um, he loves to chip. Uh, Bill Hamid should definitely be wary of getting lobbed because Darwin Kinter is always looking to lob somebody, um, even from 30, 35 yards, even under pressure. Um, he's just, he's a ridiculously talented player with a ton of ideas. He's kind of an individualist, but, uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, he's that good where him being maybe a little selfish, it actually ends up being good for Minnesota that he's selfish. Um, the rest of the attack, you know, Angelo Rodriguez, I don't think he's the most talented player in the world, but he's fast. He stretches the field. I think he's a good compliment to Quintero, but he's not nearly at that same level. Um, they have some other talented players. Kevin Molino just came back. I don't think he's going to play against DC because he had been out for a long time and then played an hour for the first time in ages uh, against the Galaxy. Um, uh, Ethan Finley is there, so that's more speed. Um, and they use that speed to really give Quintero room to do whatever he wants. And generally what he wants is to uh, score goals and get assists on you. So, um, yeah, the, he is really – it's not everything, but it's almost everything with them. He really is. If, if DC can somehow – bottle Cantero up and keep him even sort of quiet, they're going to win the game. Cause I, you know, we talked about the defense already. It seems likely that you're going to score some goals on Minnesota. Um, much like against Colorado. I actually think this game is going to play out like the game against Colorado. Um, where the other team's defense is just not good enough to keep DC off the board. It's just a matter of if DC can defend well enough that Minnesota only scores one or two, they're, they should be able to get a result, if not a win. What is behind Minnesota's form? Um, they we, we saw them get their first ever Western Conference road wins to start the year. They won three of their first five. All, on, all five of them were on the road. Um, and then they came home to the brand new Allianz Arena, and they haven't won there. They lost a game to the Revs on the road, and they have a couple of draws. At home, Adam, Adam um, you, you you went by that a little fast. The revs, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's worth digging into. They were pretty good in the first couple weeks of the year, and they they really haven't been the last few weeks. Um, what what what's happened to them? Is it just Darwin Quintero is not scoring goals, and so they're not winning games three two? Instead, they're losing games two, three, four, nothing. Uh, I think some of it is that their early season. You know, they got to play Vancouver. Vancouver's not very good. They got to play San Jose before they started to figure out. The Quakes have finally figured out Matias Almeida's playing style, and Minnesota got one of the lucky draws to get them before that. Um, so those were two road wins to start the year, so that's always a good sign. Um, but you know, they went to L.A., and they got found out a little bit. They lost 3-2. Um, obviously, losing to the Revs uh, is inexcusable um, in, in MLS, and they managed to do that. Um, they beat the Red Bulls. It turns out the Red Bulls are pretty bad this year, at least so far. It doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, right. 
they they've gone on the road and they they managed to give TFC a really difficult game that was four three, um, and they were winning that game at one point three two, um, so that they've obviously got some ability to go away from home and really be a challenge. I think because um, they've got that speed and they've got that ability to make difficult plays easier than most other teams because Quintero can do stuff that most other players in the league can't. Um, I think that's been part of it, but when they were at home, um, you know, the, the galaxy, I think the galaxy came away feeling like they had played poorly. Um, then like on their side of it, they were like, yeah, the reason we didn't get a result tonight is because we played a bad game, not because of Minnesota. Um, and I think they, they might have a little bit of a point, uh, when, you know, as much as I am loath to give credit to anything the galaxy say, I think they might've, they might've had a point there. Um, the NYCFC game, if NYCFC didn't commit two gigantic errors um, at the back, they win that game pretty handily. Um, and I, I think some of it is a lack of focus across their team. Um, their defense, because their defense is getting hit on the break and they're getting less support at home from their midfield because they're sending numbers forward. Um, I think they get found out a little more easy. I think also when they are there at home, um, Heath's tendency to just roll the dice is even more pronounced. And so they open themselves up to counterattacks pretty easily. Um, so I think it's, it's a mix of, of all of those things, but mostly I think their good start is really more about a favorable schedule to start because um, if anything, they should have more points by now, you know, they're, they're early it, by the end of March, they had that revs loss on their resume and that should be a win um, home or away, regardless, you know, it doesn't even matter the circumstances you should beat the revs every single time. Um, and so that kind of, that one's at, it, at that time, it looked like a, um, if anyone has seen um, super troopers, there's the uh, target shooting scene where um, uh, Ramathorn says, Oh, don't worry about that little guy. Um, at the time that looked like that, but actually that game kind of indicates to you that Minnesota just isn't all that good. Um, and <laughs> And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of shown through. I, I think they are going to be eager and desperate to win because they've got two home draws at their, admittedly, their fantastic looking new stadium. Um, I think they're under pressure, but I also think that pressure might work against them. I don't think they're a good team when they're under pressure. I think they're the kind of team that, yeah, everyone under stress does, you know, there's solid science behind this that under stress people do less well than they do when they're, um, relaxed and, and calm. I think Minnesota is one of those teams that is particularly rattled and they're going to start really feeling that. I think they started to feel that pressure against the galaxy. And I think it's just going to be amped up. So if DC gets through the first 20 minutes, if they get an early goal and take the lead, um, I think Minnesota is really going to unravel at that point. It's just a matter of it. Can you get there? Because that first 15 might be, might be pretty tough. That's all I got, unless you guys want to talk about anything else. I think that's a good episode. No, I, th- I think we've said enough things about all the stuff that we've had to deal with. <laughs> that's usually the case just a few minutes in, but it doesn't stop us. Thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, we will be eternally grateful. Uh, do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. Uh, 
on Twitter, we're at filibuster DCU for the podcast at black and red U for the website. All of our personal accounts are linked in the filibuster bio. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Download, rate, review, subscribe, uh, whatever else you're supposed to do, wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to to get the word out and and help spread the gospel of filibuster. Don't don't do that. That was a dumb turn of phrase. Don't do that. Um, before I dig any more holes for myself, for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Speaking of holes, I turned 37, and no one tossed me into a grave. Congratulations. <laughs> Happy birthday. Bye.